I want to speak to you this morning on the profound implications of Christ's glorious resurrection. Matthew writes, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 8, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, thank you, God, for this glorious event in history Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven. We thank you that he lived a sinless life, the God-man. We thank you that he went to the cross and bore the sins of everyone that would ever believe. Thank you that he was buried, demonstrating death, proving that he had died. But thank you this morning that he was resurrected from the dead. He was raised to life. And because he was raised, we shall be raised. Because he was raised, we walk today in newness of life. God, help us to understand these implications, what it means to us, even this very day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine what it would have been like on that first resurrected or resurrection morning? When Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to the tomb and discovered that Christ had been raised from the dead, then taking that glorious reality back to disciples, their questions now had answers. Their sadness turned to joy. Their mourning to rejoicing. Doubt turned to trust. And fear would soon turn to bold proclamation. What a tremendous difference the resurrection made. Peter, who denied the Lord in fear three times at the crucifixion, went on to become the apostle to his kinsmen, the Jews, preaching 40 days later without fear to a crowd in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. He preached even boldly before the Sanhedrin, that group of 70 Jewish leaders. He preached faithfully among the people. And due to his preaching, the scriptures tell us that he was threatened, he was arrested, and he was beaten. But he never ceased proclaiming the resurrected Christ. Tradition even tells us that Peter was eventually crucified upside down because of his faith, because of his preaching, the resurrected Christ. Also remember Thomas, 
When the disciples told him that Jesus had risen from the dead, he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But when Thomas encountered the resurrected Christ, Christ showing him the nail prints and the scar in his side, what did Thomas do at that point? He cried out, my Lord and my God. You see, the resurrection made all the difference. Several years after the resurrection, a Jewish man by the name of Saul, a persecutor of Christians, while traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus, intending to make further arrest and eventually murder Christians, he encountered the resurrected Christ in Acts chapter 9. Christ said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus identifying with the church to persecute Christians is to persecute Christ. But Saul was changed on that road that very day. Rather than being a hater of Christians, he became an apostle to the Gentiles. He became known as Paul, taking his Gentile or Roman name, Paul the Apostle. Paul gave his life to proclaim the good news that Christ had suffered and risen from the dead. This is what Paul said that he faced preaching the resurrected Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times received from the Jews, 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Why? Because Paul had encountered the resurrected Christ, God had changed his life by the power of the resurrection, and nothing would stop him. He was willing to die to proclaim the resurrected Christ. It is even believed that he was beheaded during Nero's brutal reign shortly after he completed the book of Romans. But this is not just the story of the apostles. This is the story of Christian history. It happened all throughout history. When a man or a woman encounters the resurrected Christ, when we come face to face with him in his glory and understand that he became sin for us, he bore our sins and he was resurrected that we could have life, it changed that person for all eternity. You see, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the most important event in world history. It's the pinnacle of the redemption story. It's proof of Christ's deity. 
It's the completion and foundation of the gospel message, and it's our guarantee of eternal life. We understand from Scripture that man's existence is eternal. Every person will exist forever somewhere. Man's existence has no end. Each of us will be resurrected. The Bible teaches us either to eternal life or to eternal death. However, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes the difference. We've all been identified with the first Adam because we are descendants of Adam. We are in Adam, meaning that we're born spiritually dead, awaiting physical death and the eventual resurrection to judgment. But those who have been identified with the last Adam, Jesus Christ through faith, are now awaiting a physical death that no longer has a sting because it's temporary, because we're awaiting a resurrection unto life. It's also important to understand that the crucifixion would have no meaning apart from the resurrection. If Christ had not been raised, we would likely not even know about a man named Jesus Christ, and we would not know about his crucifixion. Because he was resurrected, we know about his crucifixion. Because he was raised from the dead, we know that he took upon himself the sins of every person that would ever believe. Christ's death was a substitutionary death. His death was an atoning death. He is the propitiation, as we talked about last week. He satisfied the satisfaction for our sins. He took the wrath of God that we deserve. The sinless son of God gave himself willingly willingly, and was resurrected, proving that God had accepted the sacrifice. Jesus' death satisfied the wrath of God for undeserving sinners like you and I, like all of us. The resurrection interprets the crucifixion. It's the divine vindication of his sacrifice. It's proof that he's the son of God. And it was necessary for the salvation of believers. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. It's useless. It means nothing Without the resurrection, the crucifixion means nothing. The resurrection is so important to the Christian faith that many have tried to attack its veracity. However, the resurrection is one of the most documented events in ancient history. One of my professors at Liberty University, Dr. Gary Habermas, cites numerous historical texts, even apart from Scripture, that verify the historicity of the event. Tradition has also undermined or tried to undermine the significance of the resurrection. Easter is not about candy, eggs, or rabbits, nor is it the culmination of 40 days of Lent. What we call Easter is about the finished work of Christ, Christ on Calvary, took upon himself the sins of every person that would believe. He was buried in a borrowed tomb for three days and three nights, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, victorious over sin, death, and the grave, giving life to those who would believe in his name. 
The Lord Jesus is our risen Savior. Because he lives, we right now live spiritually. We have a relationship with God. We're no longer dead in our sins. Because he rose, we will be raised to eternal life with glorified bodies fit for heaven. The resurrection demonstrates that God always keeps his word. In Acts chapter 2, Peter tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of David's prophecy in Psalm 16, that God would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. It's a promise of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ prophesied by David. God promised that he would raise Christ from the dead. And both scriptures, or most importantly scriptures, but also history records the authenticity of that glorious event. The resurrection points to the deity of Christ. The Apostle Paul declares in Romans 1-4 that Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Folks, Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. He is the God-man. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, for in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, Colossians 2.9. God said of him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The resurrection is the guarantee of eternal life for those who believe in his name. The apostle Paul also declares in Romans 4.25, Jesus Christ, who was given over because of our trespasses and was raised for the sake of our justification. See, without the resurrection, we could not be justified. The meaning of the crucifixion, of the death of Christ, the shedding of blood would never be applied to us. He was raised because of or for the sake of our justification. Justification means to be declared righteous, to be made right before God. It's an act of God whereby he imputes his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ to our spiritual account so that he sees us as righteous, not because we have any righteousness of our own, but because he's righteous and in his grace, he pours that righteousness out on you and me. Because he was raised, we have been declared righteous before God. Because he lives, we will be, we will live, excuse me, in glorious standing with God forever. Now let's get to those profound implications for every believer. What does the resurrection mean for those who trust in Christ. There are two direct implications that we find in Scripture for every believer, but these two implications are interconnected. You cannot separate one from the other, and we've already hinted at these, at, at, at least, maybe a little bit more than hinting. The first one is this. We have already been resurrected from spiritual death. We have life. After declaring all men dead in trespasses and sins, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, but God. See, men are dead. They're separated from God. We are accountable for our sins. We're under the enmity of God, but God. See, it's not about us. It's about what God has done, but God. Ephesians 2 verse 4 
being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. There's that quickening. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has supernaturally made us alive together with Christ. We're no longer dead in our sins. We're no longer dead because of our sins. We're alive to God. We have an awareness and a relationship with him. God has taken us from enmity to intimacy, from being enemies of God to having a relationship with him. And it says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Dr. John MacArthur, well-known commentary commentator on his book of Ephesians, write this, writes this, not only are we dead to sin and alive to righteousness through his resurrection in which we are raised, but we also enjoy his exaltation and share in his preeminent glory. See, we're already raised. We have endured, we have benefited from the resurrection from the very moment that we believe that we're raised. And we also share in his, in his exaltation. We're seated in the heavenlies. What does that mean? It means that we've been removed from the spear of spiritual death and seated in the spear of spiritual life. God has taken us from that death, dead in trespasses and sins, separated from God to life where from the very moment that we are born again, we have a relationship with God. We have an intimacy with him. But it also means that we're as good as in heaven already. Because we are in the realm of spiritual life, this physical world is no longer our home. Heaven is our home. We're now citizens of heaven. We're only visitors here. God has kept us in this world so that we might proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and bring glory to his holy name. In Romans 6, Paul tells us how the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are applied to every believer. He tells us that we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, but we've also been united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. How does God do this? He does this in Romans chapter six. He tells us through baptism. And it's not water baptism. Water baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. It's a picture of spirit baptism, of the fact that we are dead and we have been raised, spiritually speaking. We have been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So in other words, just as Paul said, we have been crucified with Christ We're now dead to sin. We've been raised with Christ so that we are alive with Christ. We have a relationship with him. And that happens the moment that you're born from above, born again. In Romans 6, verses 6 and 7, Paul tells us, knowing this, 
that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. So we're not in bondage to sin anymore. We don't have to obey sin. And believers don't as a habit of life. We are alive. We have a relationship with God. We walk in newness of life. We walk in righteousness. Remember the words of the apostle John in John 5, 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Now, certainly this points, this points ahead to the future resurrection, but there's no doubt looking at these words of John that he's talking about the fact that we are spiritually resurrected, that we have life. Those who hear will live. Those who hear and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ The moment that they're born again, they live. They have a life that they've never had and could never have apart from the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, not only have we already been resurrected from spiritual death from the moment that we believe, but we will be raised to eternal life with glorified bodies fit for heaven. And one of my favorite scriptures, John chapter 11, the scriptures tell us about a man named Lazarus that died. His sisters, Mary and Martha, who were grieving, grieving the death of their brother. But four days after Lazarus died, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus. Mary stayed in the house and Mary ran out to meet Jesus. Remember what she said in verse 21 and 22. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Mary knew Jesus. She knew he was the son of God. She knew Jesus could raise her brother from the dead. And if he had been there, he could have healed him so that he would not have died. Jesus replies, your brother will rise again. But notice what Martha said in verse 24. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, Martha knew the promise of the resurrection, but she was grieving. She was hurting. She missed her brother. And she had no idea, just as we don't, what day the resurrection will come. But what happened here pictures the fact that the resurrection will occur for every believer, the physical resurrection of our bodies, but it also pictures the saving work of Jesus Christ. Notice what Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. 
Martha was stating her personal faith in Jesus Christ. She knew Jesus Christ, that he indeed was the son of God, that he was God in human flesh. But Jesus had made an amazing statement. It's one of the seven I am texts in the book of John. Remember that I am that I am? Referring back to Yahweh, that Old Testament Hebrew word that only was used of God, the eternal, self-existent, independent one. That's who God is. Jesus was identifying himself as divine, that he was God. But he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Matthew Poole, that commentator, says, Jesus is here, the principal cause of the resurrection. He's stating that he's the cause of the resurrection. To know Christ is to know life. It's freedom from spiritual death. But to know Christ is also to be assured of our future bodily resurrection. Jesus is the very definition of the resurrection, and he's the definition of life. After Martha expressed her faith in the Son of God, she secretly went to get Mary back at the house. When Mary came and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet, saying this, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, or excuse me, yeah, Mary knew that Jesus could heal. She was well aware of who Jesus was, just like Martha this was the son of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus wept. And you know, I've contemplated that over the years a lot. Certainly, Jesus was close to Lazarus. As the people said there, Jesus loved Lazarus. But I often wonder, did he weep because Mary and Martha were weeping? He was identifying with them. He knew what was about to happen. And the events that happened next, picture the work of God and salvation, and they demonstrate our future physical resurrections. After arriving at the tomb, Jesus told the people to remove the stone. But Martha said this, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus had intentionally waited to return to Bethany after Lazarus died. Why? Well, some have speculated that because many Jews incorrectly believed that the spirit did not leave the body till the fourth day, he waited to the fourth day. But I strongly suspect that the decomposition that begins after about 36 hours and becomes apparent on the fourth day has something to do with it. A lot of people don't know this, but if you're not embalmed, the face in particular swells beginning the fourth day and turns black. The person is pretty much unrecognizable on that day. If a person is raised from the dead on the first day, there's no question that that person was dead. See, Jesus is the resurrection 
It doesn't matter how long a person's been dead. He is the resurrection and the life. Notice Jesus's response to her words about the length of time. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Possibly referring back to verse 26 and what he had said to Martha. After they removed the stone, Jesus lifted his eyes and prayed in verse 41 and 42. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Then Jesus cried out loudly, commanding Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. How could a dead man hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ? God had to give him life. God had to quicken him so that he could hear the command to come forth. And folks, it's the same when a man is born again. We are commanded by God to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God must quicken us. He must give us life. We cannot obey the command. But God quickens us and empowers us to believe. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Son of God left the glories of heaven. Isaiah tells us, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Not only does this point to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it points to our need for Jesus Christ, our substitute, our resurrection, and our life. Folks, all men are born into this world as sinners in desperate need of salvation. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners, perfectly clear in the Word of God. We cannot do anything but sin. Even when we do something that is good by man's standard, It's for the wrong motive. It's not for the glory of God, apart from salvation in Jesus Christ. But the scriptures teach us this glorious good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven. He came to a sin-cursed world. He lived a sinless life. And as we heard on Friday night, he became the curse for us. He became sin for us, the one that knew no sin, and he bore the sins of the elect. He bore the sins of everyone that would believe. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, but he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and for the sake of our justification, proving that he was victorious over sin, death, and the grave, proving that God had accepted the sacrifice, that God was well-pleased. God raised him from the dead. He was raised by the power of God from death. He was victorious. And because he was raised, we, those who are in Christ, are alive to God. We have a life 
an intimacy with God, a relationship with God that people of the world, people that have not believed, could never know apart from salvation and will never know apart from salvation. But we're looking ahead. Folks, the world is against God. And therefore, they're against believers. There could come a day that we are persecuted and put to death. Many in the world today, that very thing is happening to them. But it doesn't matter because the sting of death has been taken away. Not only do we have life now, that intimate relationship with God where our sins have been dealt with and we can know Him and walk with Him in newness of life, but we look ahead to the resurrection. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but a lot of people call it a resuscitation. In a sense, that's true because he was raised to die again. Folks, when we're raised, it will be never to die again, never to experience physical death, never to experience eternal death, for we will live forever with him in glory, with resurrected bodies, because God is faithful. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, the fact that he was resurrected from the grave, demonstrates that God is faithful. May we trust in him. If you've never trusted in him, may I challenge you this morning with a repentant heart, believe on him. With all your faith, all your confidence, trust in him. Look to Christ. Turn to him by the power of God. Call upon his holy name to save your soul. For he is the Savior. The very name Jesus, as I've said before, comes from that Hebrew word, Yeshua. Jesus means God saves. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for this resurrection morning. Thank you, God, that you're faithful. Thank you that by your power, we are resurrected to life, even right now. But God, thank you also that you've taken the sting out of death, and even our bodies will be resurrected, raised to life. You'll give us glorified bodies that will never hurt, never experience any form of death, no pain, no sadness, no mourning. Lord, we will experience eternal life with you and worship you in a state of bliss. We look forward to that day. And we thank you for this day that points ahead and reminds us of what you've already done in our lives. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.